Welcome back to the HR Sucks podcast. We are almost wrapped with season one, so I'm making sure we are bringing the fire for these last episodes. Natalina Nasserdeen was on the path to great success until her world crumbled as her father passed away and her husband asked for a divorce. On a plane back home with $100 in her bank account, she remembered a very important lesson from her father. Listen in and find out what made Netalina a successful company coach and best-selling author. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Today's episode is sponsored by Game Day HR. Game Day HR is changing the way the world thinks about HR. With capabilities to absorb a business's day-to-day HR tasks or support the current HR team, Game Day HR provides an affordable and efficient, dedicated HR team to help push your business forward. Visit www.gamedayhr.com today to schedule a free, that's right, free HR audit for your business. With Game Day HR, it's game day every day. Welcome to the HR Sucks Podcast, where we'll get down to the good, the bad, and the crap of workplaces today. Today, we have the amazing Netalina, the founder and CEO of Rise Up For You, leadership and career confidence coach and TEDx motivational speaker, and number one Amazon bestselling author. Okay, girl, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm super honored. You've done it all. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. Except Oprah. That's the next step. <laughs> okay. All right, Oprah. Um, because, she, <laughs> because she listens to my show. Maybe not. Or, you know, but if you if you hear this, Oprah, you have, we have your next guest for you. Um, so I believe we were introduced or like indirectly introduced by uh, Brian Covey, who like love him. I love him so much. Such a good guy. He's doing amazing things. And then we were in a clubhouse together. Yeah. Yeah. You were killing it. You love you're you too are in clubhouse a lot now. How do you like it? Love it. It's super interesting, but I, I like that we can connect with different. I mean, that's how we met as well. I like that we can connect with different people. I like the raw conversation. It's organic. So, I mean, there's definitely a, a cool twist to it. Curious to see where it's going to go, how long it's going to last, but so far it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, I wish I had a little bit more time. My phone is weird. It won't um, connect me. I can't hear anything unless I'm on Wi-Fi. Oh. So I wish I could, like, if I'm in the car, I could, I can, listen and chime in when I can, but it doesn't let me, it's, I don't know what's going on with that. But every time I've taken part of a conversation, I mean, it's been really great. I feel like you kind of get to weed out the people who maybe don't know what they're talking about because it's unedited and it's unfiltered. Very true. Um, And like, I don't have to shower or brush my teeth, (laughs) anything to be a part of it. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's true. You're, you're absolutely right because it is live. You can't edit anything out. So when you are on stage or giving feedback or advice or coaching, I mean, you got to know what you're, what you're doing for sure. Yeah. So, so Natalina, what is your story? Like walk our listeners through key life events that led you to becoming all these things. Ooh, all right. <laughs> Take a breath. <laughs> 
So, you know, it's really interesting because I, I think I might have shared this before, uh, you know, when we were in the clubhouse, but I started as a performer. So that was the first career I ever had. And uh, so those of you that are familiar with musical theater or that are show tunes, um, you know, you love show tunes, Broadway, that kind of thing. So I toured internationally around the world for many, many years. And uh, I really, really found while I was touring that some of the top challenges that we were having really had to do with people, nothing to do with like the technical skill of singing and dancing. And mm -hmm. it all came down to communication, leadership, how we treated one another, um, how we showed up in a different country as Americans, for example. And so after I toured for about seven years and I got tired of you know living out of a luggage, I came back and I did my work in executive leadership and I became an executive of an education corporation. I was 27 years old at the time. 200 people under me. And the same challenges that I saw on tour, I saw in the workspace with educated professionals that had master's degrees and PhDs. Mm -hmm. And I think that I thought I was a little bit naive in the sense that I thought being a performer, maybe we only had these challenges because it's competitive, right? I mean, we're dancing and singing 12, 13, 14 hours a day. So there's a different dynamic, but the same challenges were happening in the workspace. So lack of confidence, self-sabotage, ineffective communication, um, you know, poor leadership, the company culture, for example, was pretty toxic at the time. So uh, it really recognized, I really recognized that this was really the fundamental of success, whether it's a personal, you know, individual or an organization. And that's what kind of spawned my interest. But I didn't do anything about it, still in the corporation, still an executive, still leading, and then I had my own personal experiences. So I was 27 years old, you know, amazing house on the lake, luxury car, all the fun stuff that we think is success. And then I lost it all within two weeks. So I ended up moving out of the country to get married and I sold everything, resigned from the, comp resigned from the company that I worked at. And within two weeks, my ex-husband wanted a divorce. So I went from top executive to $100 in my account. And all I had was two luggage. So I got back on the airplane after two weeks, you know, 30 years old, educated woman, right? That's what we say to ourselves. Like, how does an educated person get into this situation? And all I had was two luggage and a hundred dollars because I merged everything into, you know, Canadian account. And I came back and I just, you know, cried on the plane, cried on the plane. And I just had this epiphany, which was my father. He came to me when I was on the plane because he passed away a couple years earlier. And he said, everything you need is already inside of you. You just have to rise up and believe it. And that was, that was it for me. You know, I woke up in the plane and I said, okay, you know, I lost a lot of things in the last hour, but what do I still have? I still have my mind. I still have my brothers and my mother, and I still have my health. And you can do a lot with that. So I came back to California and with a hundred dollars, I started building Rise Up For You, which is the company that I have today. And I recognized that I wanted to give back. I wanted to empower. I wanted to educate. I wanted to coach, but I wanted to do it on the skills that matter the most that we learn the least about, right? So that's the confidence. That's the career resilience. That's the internal motivation. That's the emotional intelligence and coaching and leadership and all these things that are really important to our well-being and to our professional success that we spend the least amount of time on. And so that's what I started building with Rise Up For You. Now, most people don't know that when I started building the company, I was building it out of a hospital because three months after I came back from Canada, my second parent, my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer, came out of nowhere. 
And so I built the company out of a hospital. I was taking showers at the 24 hour fitness across the street and she passed away nine months later. So by the time I was 31 years old, you know, they say that when you have a, when you break, you either become broke or you have an awakening. And for me, it was like a full awakening. And, um, it led me to this, to rise up for you, you know, all of the, those challenges and definitely the lowest part of my life. This is what came out of it, which I'm grateful for. And so this is what I do today. Okay. That's a, that's a beautiful story. Um, let, let's kind of unpack a little bit of that together. Um, number one, I, I really love, I, I, put, I have it on here as Rufi. So I didn't want to type out rise up for you. <laughs> um, but there's definitely a lot of synergy in what we both do, right? We, from an HR perspective, we want to create happier workplaces. We just do it probably from a more structural like yeah. level, right? A more organizational level. And you're working more on individual people and then kind of bridging. I think we both try to bridge that communication gap, right? Yeah. Like, why are we not having um, effective communication? Why are we avoiding the hard conversations? Why are we not transparent? Why are we using our ego as we approach every conversation? Why are we working in a scarcity mindset or like a very competitive atmosphere? So I think we do a lot of the same things. Yeah. Um, and what exactly, like, tell me, okay, I, I bring you on into my organization. Like, what do you do exactly with the organization? Like, what are you looking to accomplish? Yeah, the main thing is to enhance company culture. Now that can be in a number of different ways. So sometimes we approach a company and it's from the top that we really need to restructure. So basically a culture shift in the values, for example, how they're leading the systems that they have in place or don't have in place when it comes to their people. Or the second phase, which is just training and developing people, but, but it comes in two phases. So they have to work together. So we've seen it where a company will bring us in and they say, well, we need well-being and we need emotional intelligence for our team, but the problem really lies at the top. So we can do that work, but it's not going to be sustainable because when it's done, there's still going to be the toxic coming from the top, right? Mm -hmm. And then you also have the reverse where We've worked with companies where the top leadership is amazing and they have employee benefits and an awesome culture that they try to infiltrate, but they're not developing their people in personal skills that can just, that they don't learn. So confidence, for example, how to communicate effectively leadership. So what we really do is help enhance company culture, whether it's on a macro level with the entire company or on a micro level, which is working and training and coaching the team. Got it. You know, um, your TEDx, you're, I know you're really into motivation. You're a motivational speaker. What are um, some of the misconceptions or misinformation about the relationship between people and motivation that you've seen? It's confidence. It's confidence. I mean, I could, I could talk forever on this, but the challenge that we see is that people lack motivation, okay, which is a lack of action because there's resistance there. That's why it drives me nuts when I see like this self-help stuff. It's like, just get up, get up and get motivated. Five, four, three, two, one, boom, you're on. It's like, oh yeah, that's like that toxic positivity, right? Like we have all these like new buzzwords are out there. And, yeah. and that was like something um, that I realized, I, I was reading it and I was realizing this is like not, this, I don't really like that. I don't really like, you know, I used to eat a whole sleeve 
of Oreos when I was upset. And now I no longer do that. And it's like, okay, so are you saying you no longer have like unhealthy relationships with food period? Are you saying that, that you just woke up one day and you never ate out of emotions again? I have a really hard time believing that that is true. And what happens is, is people who are watching these influencers, you know, say these things and do these things. They're like, you know, it's not linear for them, right? They, they have a moment where they're going to eat, you know, a bowl of cereal. <clears throat> um, when, when they're like upset or even, you know, just bored or whatever that looks like. And then they start questioning, oh, like something's wrong with me because I'm not like them. Right. And, and, and that them not like telling the side of the whole story, like the whole picture it really bothers me. Yeah, and, and well, and that's what it is, right? It's not, it's not true. So it does work for some people. There are some people that can go get up, take action and move, but they're already motivated, right? And so that's their way of continuing to motivate themselves. But usually when somebody is lacking motivation, which we see right now, right? A lot right now because of where we are in society with COVID, it's because there's a resistance to take action. And when there's a resistance that typically means that there's a feeling or there's a thought that's associated with it that doesn't make them feel good or maybe has fear or makes them worried or it stresses them out. And that comes back down to like confidence, right? So if you keep digging, then it's, I don't want to fail or I don't know if I'm going to be good enough. And all those things sabotage us from taking action, which creates a lack of motivation. And I mean, that's a process and that's programming for people to go through. So, you know, when people say, again, just be motivated, doesn't work that way. You have to build self-awareness. You have to build growth mindset. You have to really build that macro confidence to understand why are you not motivated? And then how do we reverse that to feel good, to take action, to feel motivated? So there's a process there. There, there's a motivation gap, I believe. Um, you know, we have wealth gap, we have, you know, inequities in gender and race and all of those depression now. And I mean, there's there, the gap has definitely widened, I think, because of the pandemic. So the people who were already motivated got even more motivated, right? right. And the people that have struggled with motivation are less motivated. And so there's a, there's a bigger gap. Um, and and that even with the pandemic had to do with wealth, it had to do with race, it had to do with gender, it had to do with, you know, the people who were um, overweight are more overweight, the people who were depressed are more depressed, like, yeah. in, and then because everybody else, you know, with out, you know, on, on the outlier of the gap have the, the tools right? They have the tools to become, to, to keep their motivation. They have the tools to go to therapy. They have the tools to work out at home with, because they can afford childcare, whatever that looks like, right? It, it's like a compounding effect. And so I, I agree with you that um, it does take a lot of introspective work to start digging in and, and reversing these lies and these limiting beliefs that we've you know, told ourselves all our lives because of something that happened when we were young or things that people have told us throughout our life. And I think the work that you do is really important. Um, and even from an HR perspective, HR perspective um, we believe in the whole human, 
not just how an employee performs and how much they're getting paid and you know if they're a liability but we we want to focus on the whole human how are things at home what's going on what makes you tick what keeps you motivated how do i know something's you know bothering netta if um, just by looking at her and she hasn't said anything by, by reading her body language, like that's the kind of organization I think we should have when we, the, the unspoken signals, you know, but you have to know yourself and you have to know your people in order to get there. And, you know, you've worked with many people and organizations. What are some key conclusions that you've made about people and motivation in the workplace? Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate because it's true based off of our research is it's confidence. So people that are motivated in the workspace, they have a confidence. So they're not afraid to fail. They're gonna make the ask. They're going to raise their hand. They're gonna speak up. And this is what really drives them. And, and they're gonna lead, period, whether they have a title or not. So we've assessed a thousand professionals in the last six months, a thousand that are working, actively working. 82% of them said that their number one challenge was confidence or um, a level of confidence. So self um, imposter syndrome, self doubt, not feeling enough, you know, afraid to like speak up or say anything in a meeting. That is, that's huge. 82%. It's like, whoa. So, but we find that people that are high functioning in the workspace, they don't really have those thoughts or if they do, they really manage them. So mm -hmm. I might have imposter syndrome, but I'm going to go do it anyway. I'm going to ask for the promotion. I'm going to raise my hand. If I fall on my face, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep trying again. And so that's really, that's really the key difference is being able to have that macro confidence. So the confidence inside and understanding that you don't have to have a perfectionist mindset. So you don't have to be perfect to take action. You don't have to be perfect to grow in your career, right? You have to have that self-compassion. So if you do fall on your face, it's cool because you're a human being and that's part of the process and understanding that life is a journey. And that's what growth mindset is, is that you like to learn, you like to fall because then you get feedback and then you grow from it. And, and that's, that's the component that's really the game changer. I mean, when 82% say that their top challenge is confidence and we ask them why, and they say, well, I guess I'm, a, I'm afraid to not look good. I'm, I'm afraid to look bad or I'm afraid that people are going to talk about me, you know, in a meeting. It's like all these things that get in our way of just showing up and being our best. 100% agree. And um, even for myself, I think one of the misconceptions is that I'm like fearless and um, I don't care about like what people think. And I think I could do anything. And, and, and to a certain extent, sure. I, over the years, you, you realize you have one life and uh, you don't really care about what anybody thinks it's your life and you need to live it the way you've always dreamed of living it. But I, I doubt myself at times. And even when I'm not doubting myself, I, I, I label myself, in a, you know, I label myself as I'm arrogant or I label myself as like not very positive traits. And that is like my defense mechanism, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, what are some practices that people can put into place to stay motivated? Yeah, so I just wanna take a step back and clarify that every single person has self-doubt, even people that are confident. And again, this is one of those like BS things that we hear like crush self-doubt. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, you know, Tony Robbins, Oprah, Michelle Obama, we all have self-doubt. The key is really managing the doubt. 
it's not letting the doubt cripple you. So I always say like, it's okay to let fear get in the car with you, but don't let it take the wheel, mm-hmm. right? Don't let mm-hmm. it take the wheel, let it sit in the passenger in the back seat. Otherwise, if you let it take the wheel, then it's going to drive you in the wall or it's going to make a U-turn and go in a different direction. But it's okay to have fear. It's okay to have doubt, but just don't let it cripple and run you. So I just want to throw that out there because sometimes people think, well, I have doubt. So, well, that's okay too. Um, I would say the first thing to really building motivation is what I call reverse engineering. So what are the things that you want to do that you haven't done yet, for example? So like, just take an assessment of yourself. We all have like the passion project, or maybe we want to lose 15 pounds, or maybe we want to, you know, go on a date and we haven't at like, what are the things that you want to do that you constantly think about that haven't happened yet? So you haven't taken action on them and you know, you should, but you keep procrastinating or you put it on the shelf. Take a, take a 360 assessment of that. Let's start with just why. Okay. So I'm not going to give a ton of strategies to begin with. Just, just why let's build a self-assessment and awareness around that. Why do you think you haven't taken the action to build the company? Why do you think you haven't went in and asked your boss for the raise? It's not that you're not motivated. There's a reason, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. why is it that you didn't wake up in the morning to work out, even though you want to lose weight or get fit or find the energy, right? It's easy to say, oh, I just lack motivation. The hard work is to understand, but why? Why am I not getting up? Is there mm-hmm. a deeper feeling that I have inside that's making me feel tired? Do I have a lot of stress? And so even though I really want to work out, I just feel exhausted and I'd rather lay in bed. Like there's always underlying things. So the first step is I would just say, write down one or two things that you've been meaning or wanting to do that you haven't taken action on. And then ask yourself, why haven't I done it yet? Okay. Why do I want it? And how am I going to get there? That's mm-hmm. the first thing I would do. Love it. Do you ever feel unmotivated? Oh yeah. (laughs) Is this what you do? Do you do this exercise when you feel that way? Well, yeah, it depends. So I'm, I'm very conscious in the fact that I know where I'm not motivated. So for the most part, I get up and I, and I do because I'm a lover of life. And so I always want to put my best foot forward, but where am I not motivated? Sometimes I'm not motivated when it comes to working out. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Why am I, I haven't worked out all week. I just told my fiance, I was like, I went all week and I haven't worked out. That's not normal for me. Why, why? And I had that conversation with myself. Why didn't I work out this week? Am I not motivated? It's not that I'm not motivated. I'm just super tired. I did the same thing. I'm like, I am super tired. And like, it's okay to say that. <laughs> mm-hmm. My body is really tired. My mind is really tired. So I chose to lay in bed and meditate and read a little bit this every morning this week and use that extra half an hour just to relax and just to like get grounded and breathe. And that's okay. Right. Yeah. I, um, my, I'm pretty motivated to work out only I've been doing it for so long, I think. And just for my stress level, it helps me. Um, I probably am unmotivated and like not eating very well, <laughs> Yeah. maybe too much sugar. Um, so everybody is different, you know, everybody's motivations or lack of motivations are in different areas. And I like that you took note of, okay, it's okay. Number one, number two, here's why number three, I'll get back on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you share a client story with us? It could be a personal client, um, an organization, whatever you want. Yeah, I can 
So um, an organization, I'm not going to say their name, but they're a national company. They're a health and fitness organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked with the executive for about three and a half months. Mm-hmm. And we started with personal leadership, right? With the executive. So what are, what are some things that we can do better as a leader? And then from there, we started to create like an action plan of how we can take these soft skills, the human skills, and really try to empower the team with them. Okay. So after three months, she came back and she said, I want to let you know that in the sales area, this is the best that we've ever been. And we are now number two in the entire country. So they went from number nine to being number two after two months, just from her infusing the leadership and the coaching and the mentorship and the soft skills with the team. And it drove their performance and their productivity and just their happiness overall. Now, the reason why I share that story is because sometimes companies in particular don't, well, what do soft skills do for you, right? But when you do help these individuals with these skills, it's a game changer for how they show up, which then increases the performance and the delivery. So that was a great story. It's like, she took out the data. She's like, I got to show you this. Love it. <laughs> that was cool, yeah. Love that. Tell us about your book, your number one Amazon bestseller book. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really proud of that. It's called Rise Up For You, Closing the Gap Between You and Your Potential. And it's really everything that we talked about here. I, I, I'm a firm believer that we always have to start with the self. And to me, the greatest tragedy today is wasted human potential. It's the greatest tragedy. It makes me so sad when I see people that are underserving themselves and therefore they're underserving like the community or the world. And all of us are called here to do something amazing, whatever that is for people, right? But there's a lot of us that underplay that and we play small. And so that book is a combination of my story, which I shared a little bit today, and then going into the challenge that I see in America today specifically, which is that we spend so much time chasing things that we don't really know why we're chasing them. And then we get there and we find out that that didn't make me happy or didn't Mm -hmm. provide fulfillment. And then we start the journey all over again. And like, we go our whole life like on this rat race, you know, and more and more people are doing that. And That's why we have massive rates in suicide and depression and anxiety because people are trying to find something outside of them. Um, And then that last, the last couple chapters is now strategy. Like what are things that we can do to close the potential gap? What are things that we can start implementing in our life that can shift us and take us to that next level as a person? So that's the book. I'm happy about it. I'm so honored that I had the opportunity to release it. It took some work, you know, it took, it took a lot of work, but it's been good. Awesome. And we'll get the link, um, on the description Thanks. so people can go purchase that. What is next for you? I mean, what, what could you possibly do? <laughs> you know, for me, the people always say, well, what's next for you. And the main thing is just more impact. So for me, I determine success with myself and my team and the company by the impact. So if we served a thousand people one month, how do we serve 1,250 the next? How do we serve 1,500 the month after that? How do we serve 10,000 in the year? So that's really what's next for us is we're always looking at a strategy and a game plan so that we can get into more corporations so that we can reach more individuals with this work so that we can collectively make a change. Beautiful. I, I, I really believe that we both believe in happier workplaces because the result is happier people. What makes you happy? Okay, this is going to sound cliche, but it's so true for me. It's just, honestly, it's just breath. 
when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, I, I get another day. That for me is happiness. So do I have unhappy moments? 100%, absolutely. But as a happy person and individual, it's just that I get another day to live, whatever that means in that day for me, whether it's you know, doing Rise Up For You, whether that's going for a run, but just waking up, I have a lot of gratitude for breath. That, that brings me joy. Amen, sister. I mean, I'm there with you. Um, I would say I'm like, for me to, to say I had a bad day, I mean, something bad would have yeah. had to happen, <laughs> like with my child or my dog or a parent or a loved one, you know, um, it's really hard to kick me down. I think I, I've yeah. accepted, I obviously an entrepreneur. So, you know, you're getting punched in the face. I don't know, daily, sometimes yeah. multiple times a day. So you get used to it and you realize there are things that you can control and there are things that you just can't, and, and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fail at certain things, but all you can do is just keep going or pivot or, you know, there's really no point in dwelling on it. And so I'm with you on, I wake up in the morning and I feel I'm like pumped to get out of bed. It doesn't matter what time I go to bed. I'm, I sometimes complain to my friends of, can you teach me how to sleep in? Because I don't know how (laughs) my body, like as soon as my eyes are open, it's just done for like, I have to get out of bed. I'm craving coffee also. Um, and I, I, I am so grateful that I did the work to get to this point, because one thing I want our listeners to know is that we, we are not inherently like this, right? We, we, we don't, we're not just, we're not born with it or we're not born with it. It's, um, it took a lot of work, years of journaling and meditating and reading and, you know, um, really overcoming emotional barriers and limiting beliefs and childhood trauma. I mean, it takes years, but it like, when you, when I look back at even just the, um, evolution from a year ago, um, by declaring, you know, I'm, I was going to journal every day because I think journaling keeps you present. You're, you're writing about what is instead of what your imagination thinks it is or what you hope for it to be. And that really helped me build that, like, see that road of, okay, these are the things I want. This is what's happening now in my life. There is a clear fracture, like in the road, like I'm on the wrong path. And so I need to make some changes. And I just, I I think it's so important for people to understand that if you even started today, you will feel better having these little practices and processes in place a month from now, because now you're going to recognize what's going on. And I mean, it, it takes time. I was very entitled. I was victim. I blamed my parents for everything that was wrong with me. Um, like the world was out to get me. I mean, this was all 20. Um, I, I feel like most people go through this in their twenties. Um, and, and there, there was such a, a disconnection and a discrepancy between who I really was and who I made people believe I was. And I will be the first to tell you, you aren't fooling anybody. Like we know, like I know when somebody is like, is being deceitful or they're not telling me the truth. And that's because we did the work, right? We did all this work to recognize. And I don't say, oh, that person's bad. I, I always kind of, I feel sympathetic to them. And I'm like, 
wow, they have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. That is okay. Where can listeners find you, your company and all the amazing things that you're doing? Thank you. It's super simple. So you can go to riseupforyou.com and all of our social media is also at Rise Up For You. And then personally, you can check me out on LinkedIn, Netta Lena Nasserdine, and also on Instagram. So would love to hear from you. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here. I love your name. I love, I said it to myself, like Netta Lena Nasserdine. Like it's so <laughs> cute. I love it. I, wh- where, where's Nasserdine from? It's Lebanese. Oh, okay. Yeah. My, my parents were born in Egypt, but my mom identifies with being Lebanese and my dad Armenian. Cause okay. Yeah. Name. I could tell by your, I saw your last name. I was like, That's yeah, amazing. nobody believes it. They're like, you married an Armenian. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I am Armenian. <laughs> uh, you could see it like in my eyebrows, like I'll, I tweezed them this morning and I already have a five o'clock shadow coming in. That's the only Armenian part of me, I suppose. But Thank you for being here. You were amazing. I can't wait for the listeners to get in on this and get all of these tips that you're giving them. Thank you so much for everybody listening. You can find us on Instagram at HR sucks. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. That's right.